This is In Search of Tracks podcast, a new podcast where each week we take a deep dive into a different album and ultimately answer the burning question, are there tracks? I'm Pete. And I'm Bob. And we are here today to take a deep dive into our album of the week. Um, This week's episode is going to be about the debut album by the Stone Roses. But first, Bob, it's been a very long time. What has been happening? You're right. It, it has been a minute. Um, man, uh, well, let's see. Well, we had some holidays. Those were good. We had a few. Yep. Um, we had a New Year had, celebration. Yes, that's right. Nice. New Year, kind of cool. Um, the country, the United States, not not, not doing great, <laughs> but like that's okay. Like, you know, uh, we'll kind of spare everyone a little bit on the political side of things but um yeah weird energy let's just say weird yeah, energy we'll say weird energy yeah <laughs> uh who, who knew um but no otherwise i've been good man i've been feeling good i'm uh, excited to kind of get back on the horse um how about you i've been pretty good um you know i kind of went into 2021 feeling like you know it's gonna be a weird year i kind of knew that because, you know, all of the craziness is still going on. I think 2022 is going to kick ass. But, um, Agreed. you know, I'm trying to stay posy for 2021. I will say I started off the year, the first dinner of 2021, I had pizza, right? Good start. Okay. So far I'm in, yeah. Yep. But, yo, I bit my tongue so hard that I, like, <laughs> could barely eat for a week. So I was just, like, eating soup for, Oof. like, a whole week. It sucked. So... I'm back in action now, you know, I can eat, I can eat solid foods and, uh, I'm excited about, uh, getting the podcast going again. Yeah. So I, I mean, we won't, uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but some of you are probably hearing us who were with us on the, it came from New Jersey podcast. This is just kind of the evolution. Um, we're expanding our borders and opening it up because, we're on a quest. We're, uh, as as Pete said at the top, we're in search of tracks, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun ride. So, um, as always, we encourage people to hit us with interactions. That was one of the very best parts of the prior iteration of this podcast. So, Pete, uh, at the top here, please send feedback, follow us, etc. At what emails and ats? So the new email address is trackspod at gmail.com. So T-R-A-C-K-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. Okay. And on social media? Social media, we are on Instagram and Twitter at TraxPod. Fantastic. So, so pretty, uh, pretty simple. Should be able to find us. Um, we're not going to be using the old accounts, so please, please, please follow the new accounts. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll uh, start getting the, you'll see the warnings and, and moving the, the transfers over. So um, please do that. Uh, excited to get uh, a fresh beginning for fresh for 2021, Saka. Exactly. Uh, some, some musical legends would say. <laughs> I think the, the only difference here, you know, like, I mean, to Bob's point, I don't want to belabor it, but um, there's going to be a little bit of differences here. I think, you know, mm. just um, one of the primary things I think we're going to try to give, you know, all of you, the listeners a heads up a week in advance, because I think it's more, this stuff is, this stuff is more interesting when you can engage with it. So I think when we give you the heads up and say, Hey, we're going to be talking about, you know, this album next week, it gives you that week to listen to it. If you want to deep dive 
you know, with us. Uh, I yep. know that a lot of listeners were already doing that and it seemed like they were having a lot of fun with it. So we're going to do our best to, you know, keep, uh, you know, the calendar in order so that we can let yeah. you guys know what's coming up. Yeah, I think, um, yes, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you said it because I was thinking the exact same thing. This podcast is best digested when you've listened to the record or are familiar with it. Um, and then you go in and listen with us, uh, whether we've heard it or not, it's kind of more fun when we all hear it and then we talk about it. So, um, especially if we're starting to get really big feedback, you know, there was a few records we did on the prior iteration where we got a ton of feedback on just one specific episode, almost enough that it was like, Oh, we could, we could sort of incorporate all this commentary into its own spinoff. So, um, Big thanks on that and look forward to listening. Hopefully, uh, for those of you who are the early adapters, we did try to put out the word about this being the debut episode. And um, I hope that I hope that everyone got a chance to visit, whether that's a revisit or a first-time visit, the Stone Roses album here. I have a feeling that at least a strong portion of our audience will be familiar. What do you think of that, Pete? I think they should be, yeah. I mean, this... I mean, again, I could be totally out of touch here, but I feel like this is one of those albums that at some point, if you're interested in music, you just come across, you know, at a certain point. Um, so, yeah, we'll like, why don't you don't kick know. us off? Yeah, so, again, you know, a few minor changes to the format with this new podcast, and one of those changes, I think, is that we're going to introduce a rating system of sorts. Um, mm. So every, every week... You know, on on our socials at TraxPod, um, we are going to be sharing, you know, Bob and my, you know, ratings of the album. And we're going to encourage all the listeners to, we have kind of a shareable image um, that you'll be able to post on your own social. Yeah, um, So that'll please. be cool. Um, but I thought that it would be good, you know, for the first few episodes here for you and I, Bob, to just pick some albums that we really like. Yes. Um, and the idea behind that is really just to give all of the listeners, everybody kind of an idea of like what we really consider to be great albums. So, you know, covering some of our favorites so that, you know, moving forward when we, you know, start going into uncharted territory, you know, the listeners, they have a reference kind point, of has, right. yeah, they have reference points. They have a baseline for kind of where we're operating from. So, it. so this one is, uh, one of my favorites. Um, Stone Roses, uh, if you're unfamiliar, they were an English psychedelic rock band. They existed from 1983 to 1996 during their first run. Um, and then they, they ended up doing a reunion, I think starting in 2010 or 2011. Um, if you've ever heard of Baggy, um, it's kind of where rock met dance music, um, in the UK, you know, in the late eighties, mostly, Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of the, the poster boys along with the happy Mondays for kind of that sort of baggy music. Um, but this is their classic album. I think, um, they had two full lengths. This is the first, it came out in 1989. Um, it's kind of widely regarded, I think in any, you know, top 100 rock albums, it's, it's always there, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's talked about a lot. It's uh, I think that the cover is fairly iconic at this point. Um, and it's one of my favorite records of all time. So I thought it would be a 
fun uh, episode to talk about it and di- deep dive it because I honestly have no idea what you think about it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I want to ask you some history for you, your personal history. We we kind of, I really like this side of it. Where did how, where and how did you discover this record? So I probably heard it when I was around fifteen. Um, at the time, I was always a big Oasis fan. I got into oh, yeah. Oasis when everyone else did. You know, um, what yeah. was that ninety four? Yep. Um, 94 is definitely maybe and i think 95 or 96 you start getting into what's the story yeah yeah i think you're right um so big oasis fan from there i you know kind of dove into all the brit pop stuff as it was called that was happening at the time um blur pulp um elastica kind of all that stuff yep and you know and all the all of the interviews that I was reading with, you know, all of those bands at the time, every, I felt like I just came across the stone roses being referenced all the time. So naturally I just, you know, went to the CD store, found the, found the CD and, uh, I was in, I don't know. I, it's, it's one of those albums that one of the very few albums I'll say that I probably consistently have listened to once or twice a month since I was like 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. This is like that's, that's prolific know, love, man. Yeah, seriously prolific love. Like and uh maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but dude, if I had to choose a Desert Island album, this would like unquestionably be it. Interesting. Okay. All yeah. right. Wow. All right. I didn't know you felt so strongly about it. Well, this very, is going to be very you know, strongly. Very I, have, fun. I have a lemon on my leg in fact. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, so here we go. So what about I, you, though? Yes. I um, I was a big Oasis fan. Uh, 94, definitely, maybe. Um, Live Forever single, I think, really got me in. Um, loved it. Loved What's the Story. You know, I, I had a conversation not long ago with a friend about how, yo, you know what? I'm not ashamed to say Wonderwall is good. I don't, it's pop rock. It's great. I don't know. You know, there's, there's, it's not my favorite Oasis song, but it's really good. And I'm not embarrassed by that. Dude, good song. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very good song. So all that said, it wasn't for several years after, because I knew I had heard the Stone Roses name, but I didn't dive into the Britpop scene as much uh, because I kind of I got into other stuff. I really liked Oasis. I liked the Blur hits, you know. But I didn't dive into that whole scene of stuff because I didn't see things like that yet. And then I immediately got into a very different kind of music subculture scene. Sure. I think I was introduced to Stone Roses probably ten years later, around two thousand five. Okay. Uh, you know, because they had sort of reached this this cult status. Um, I mean, obviously, they had reached cult status long before that. But even, um, I think they became sort of darlings. If you liked music and you liked subculture music that was kind of on the guitar side of things, you inevitably hit this point where someone you knew loved the Stone Roses. Yeah. I hit that I- point. Yes, right. <clears throat> And, uh, and I was introduced to this record and I was like, oh, cool. All right, let me check it out. And I remember even at that point, I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it 
might be because I did remember and, and people had made these illusions like, Oh, oh it inspired Oasis and da, 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 da. And I think I was taking it more literally like, Oh, Oasis was trying to sound like the stone roses. And I actually don't think the two sound that much alike as a whole. Like if you yeah. were to put one record, you know, record to record, I don't, you, you can pull parts and say, okay, yeah, that, Oh, okay. That, but, um, but I, I don't think they're, they're not there. So I remember being a little bit confused and being like, huh, okay. The, and then I had more intimate feelings about some of the specific songs, etc. But I didn't go back to the well. So while you have revisited this record quite a bit over time, I think I own it. I have one of the 12 inch singles. There's, um, I think they released a bunch of these yeah, singles. Yeah, I have one of those too. Um, Fool's Gold, maybe. Yes, I think so. But uh, but yeah, I, I I really liked it, but never it, it wouldn't be in my top hundred records. And on this listen, I had some really interesting thoughts about it, and and actually found a place for it that. I don't see it referenced, and I, I'm excited to talk about the sound because I think it's a really interesting record. And I'm probably more of a fan of it now because I recontextualized what I think they are in the place of Brit rock, British music <laughs> of the time. So Beautiful. I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, so let's, uh, <clears throat> let's see. what I mean, with that said... <clears throat> Is it is it even a question of why we should be discussing this album? Do you I mean, want to add some context? I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, so there there has to be someone who's listening, and if you're sitting there listening, feel free to to blink twice, and I'll know it's a signal. Oh, I see it. I hear you. Um, who's completely unfamiliar with this record before? Yeah. So let's say this: this record's pivotal. This record yeah. is cited. This is undeniably one of the most important records to come from the UK period, but especially in the 80s. Um, I mean, arguably, if you wanted UK, British rock, I go, okay, there's the Smiths, there's the Cure, and then there's the Stone Roses. And I'm not trying to create an equivalency between those three, but like, they're that important. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I'll I'll lay it <clears> like this. Do you like the Stone Roses more than the Cure or more than the Smiths? Um, I think I would have to say I do. Right. I mean, it's 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 a tough one because the Cure and the Smiths have much larger catalogs and a lot much, more to offer. Better. Yeah. You know, but which which adds to the context here because this album is their primary output until what for another five years or something like that? Yeah. 94. Right. And then um, they broke up in 96. Right. So, so to give that context, this is the stone roses record. There's other material, um, which I'd love to hear your opinion on, but yeah. this is, if you're going to talk about this band, this is the record to talk about. And is it a pivotal point in their career? Absolutely. It's the Zenith of their career. Yeah. One hundred percent. I think the interesting part for me is the the fact that um, they started in nineteen eighty three. This came out in nineteen eighty nine. So although they had a few singles before that, there was a Sally Cinnamon single, 
there are a few others. Um, they spent a long period of time like working on these songs. Like there's a there's a an album that came out I think in the 90s. It was after they broke up. It was called Garage Flower. Yes. And it was an album it was essentially their first their first attempt at a full length. Um but they ended up scrapping it because they weren't happy with it. Um <laughs> but if you're if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's it's a really it's I'm going to say like I don't even like that recording all that much even as like a super fan. But it's it's really interesting just historically because you get to hear all these kind of earlier renditions of of these songs. But it's yeah. one of those things that I don't know. It's it's something that I think about a lot, you know, playing music and having played music for a long time. Like, yo, these dudes spent a long time like getting this album right to the point where they just like walked into the studio and apparently it was a super simple um, recording session. They you know they had the tracks down. They just like, they laid it down. It was no issue. Um, there was no writing in the studio. There was none of that stuff, you know? So um, I don't know. For me, it's always been like a proof of concept where it's like, you know, like like know your tracks and like be confident in your tracks before you go into the studio. Because, you know, I think if they had tried to write anything in the studio, it would not have turned out, you know, as, as good as it did and as classic as it did. No, I... I- completely agree with you in this case that said i wonder about the long-term impact that it made by taking so long to craft this record and i think that's the right word here is craft this record feels well crafted yeah it's thought out it's thoughtful even going through as we will in a moment each track it's it, it feels like it was just as you said they went in the studio and delivered what they had planned out, executed, and it feels both effortless and like it had been a well-oiled machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's it's very interesting in that way. But that said, this band had a very brief window at the top. Uh, as mentioned, their next record doesn't come out until 1994. And when you do the math on it, you go, okay, well, you were a band in 83, and this record comes out, what, 88, 89, whatever it is. And then your next record comes out in 94. Well, that tracks. Like, yeah. that, that lines up. Um, and, you know, just for, for people who might be less aware, typically, like, okay, for example, we talked about Oasis. In the case of Oasis, the record... Uh, Definitely Maybe comes out in 1994. What's the Story Morning Glory comes out in 1995. Be Here Now comes out in 1997. You know, they they had records familiar. They stand on the shoulders of giants is in 2000. So they were on a boom, 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 boom. Records coming out every couple of years. Um, and, and you'll see that with many of the biggest artists you go back and look at some of the classic rock bands, big hip hop artists. You want to get, when you're hot, <laughs> you want to yeah. get your records out. Right. Um, and you know what? Um, in underground music, you don't have as much of a stringent adherence to a schedule and, and credit to the stone roses, uh, because they spent their time to crafting this record. And, uh, and you know, as we will get to really, really, delivered um 
So you want to jump into the track by track? Okay, yes. And as it is a new podcast in search of tracks, (laughs) Pete, does this album have tracks? 100%, yes. Uh, Yes, and I will co-sign this album has tracks. You, You have found some tracks. So let's get it and go track by track. So the first track is I Want to Be Adored. Um, I think this is one of, I would say one of the two songs. If you've heard a Stone Roses song, it's either this or a song called Fool's Gold. Mm -hmm. Um, Totally iconic track. Um, Kind of a beautiful opener. Gives you a real sense of what's to come. You know, Um, I think it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's more of like a mellow kind of slow burn opener but um you know the lyrics i don't need to sell my soul it's already in me um you know i want to be adored it's uh it's a big one i don't know i mean i saw the stone roses two times when they reunited and they opened with this track both times and it was uh people were psyched i mean this is the song this is their song. It's like a mission statement for, for this band. Yeah, like this is their stairway to heaven, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is, I want to be adored is to Stone Roses as how soon as now is to the Smiths, right? Yeah. Like this is the track. Um, this is certainly a song that I think anyone who's heard this band would would need. Um, Pete, this is going to be a keeper for me. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, I also want to say they set the tone here. For some of the the feel of the record, um, there's a lightness to it. There's a drifty kind of dreamy feel. This is not shoegaze, but I think anyone who's interested in some of the like '90s shoegaze stuff would have to nod at least at some of the stylings here and say, "Oh, well, yeah, I I can see some connections there." Yeah. No. Absolutely. So. Um, and sonically like this song into the flow of this record makes me think about what I'd said before, like finding the register for the stone roses historically, but also has they connected because I always thought because of how name checked they were by the mid nineties and the Brit rock bands of the nineties, I always associated them closer to Oasis and blur than I did with the eighties kind of Brit pop and, you know, the Smiths and the cure. And then like the new wave leaning and post punk stuff of the eighties. And as I started really kind of going through this record in a deeper way than I had in at least a decade, I was like, Oh, this is the midway point. Yeah. 
this is not closer or further from either, but really this kind of turning point, for lack of a better term, uh, where the mirror flips and you start to see a pullback, a callback to certain elements of Brit pop of the sixties too. And, and, and just something new as well added in. So, um, yeah, you know, do you, do you kind of feel that like, because oh, that was really hard for me prior to this, because, you know, if you go into the stone roses record expecting Oasis, you're not going to get it. No, not at all. But if you look at it, it's like, Hey, this is taking a lot of these like softer or more subtle elements of post-punk, uh, 60s Brit rock, some of the more indie elements of the Brit pop of the 80s UK sound. They synthesize all that and add a different kind of twist that we'll be getting to that I think inspired um, the 90s and alternative music at, at large. Like this record is bleeding with influence across you know, not just UK bands, but everywhere. So, yeah, I mean, and I would, I would add dance and electro, like early electronic music too. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely elements there, but I think the last thing on, I want to be adored just the, the, you know, the title of the song itself. I want to be adored. It kind of, I will say that, you know, I think the Gallagher brothers, you know, from Oasis are kind of famous for their kind of pompous attitude. Um, I would venture to guess that they took a lot of that from the stone roses. Um, if you want to talk about a band that was like cocksure, you know, yes. and just kind of knew that they um, had, you know, enough confidence that they could have, you know, they would have been successful just on personality alone, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, this is, this is uh, 100% that I, I believe exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's a certain, yeah, cocksure is the right word. Uh, yeah, that is a part of the '80s Brit pop vibe. It just s- makes it step apart from a lot of its counterparts, sonically and, and otherwise. So yeah, okay. So that's a keeper. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent a keeper. She bangs the drums. She bangs the drums. So they pick up the energy a little bit more. There's like a super catchy chorus in this one. There's a really memorable bass line. Um, this, I don't think was one of the singles. It was not. Oh no. It's the third single. It is the third single. Okay. They had a lot of singles, um, for this. There were at least seven singles off this record. Yeah. That spans from October 88 to March 92, just to give some scope of, of how, uh, long in the tooth this record was even at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love it. I think it's a great song. Um, it flows really well from I Want to Be Adored and into the next song as well. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, it's it's great. I could see people who might like the song more than I Want to Be Adored. Um, if you're looking for more of the rock elements and a little more a l- bringing up the tempo, as said, uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed by this song. And I think it's kind of a brave choice as the second track. Yeah, behind I want to be adored. I I think it's key, it's great. So, yeah. um, super strong start to have this backing up. I want to be adored. Yeah, definitely. I think that this one too. I think she bangs the drum in the next song, Waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the lyrics. I don't. I don't even really love Ian Brown's lyrics. A lot of people really do. Um, 
for me, they're, they're, they're similar to Oasis in the way that like, and I don't even feel, feel bad saying this because Noel Gallagher said this about his own lyrics. Like half of it is just nonsense. Like he's just putting words together that sound nice together. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, right. Um, which is cool, but like, you know, w- I like lyrics that I can really dive into and like really catch me on an emotional level. Like none of this stuff really does that. And in fact, I've tried to sing the stone roses at karaoke sessions and it's incredibly difficult because you think, you know, it. I dude, I thought I knew what he was saying half the time, but he's just mumbling his way through it. I, I did not know, you know, Ugh, I don't you know. Yeah. So, Ugh. Um, going into waterfall, I also think this is a very good song. <clears throat> My complaint, and it, I'll hit this. And hey, here's a recurring theme from the prior iteration of the podcast. It's too long. Waterfall is too long. Too long. I want to cut the song at three minutes. Okay. Now, Fair. now I will say it's four and a half minutes, and. At about three and a half minutes, I'm like, okay, toe tapping a little bit. I think it's a good song. I really think it kind of gets the rock out early on in it. But how that goes into the song after, how that goes into Don't Stop, all of a sudden I have a hard time saying, no, cut this song. But I'm still going to stand by it. I'm going to say, Waterfall, it's too long. Cut it. But not cut the song, but cut the length. I'm keeping the song, but I want to cut. I want to cut the last minute and a half off. Fair um, enough. I was actually thinking about that when I was listening. I, I I feel like they have a really consistent kind of song structure in a lot of these songs, where it's like you know, verse, bridge, chorus, verse, verse, bridge, chorus, lead, and then there's like this huge outro that some sometimes goes back into the the chorus. Correct. Um, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a big outro, but they do that same sort of structure a lot. Um, I like. I love it, but I might be. I might be too deep in the weeds. Like I can't even look at it objectively at this, no. this point because I like. I've I've heard these songs too many times. I, I think you identified something. It's <clears throat> it's interesting that they identify. They identify as psychedelic rock. Um, they also identify in the jangle pop <clears throat> alternative. I largely think those kind of long extended outros are what bleed them into this psychedelic rock area because it's this jammy feel to it. And it's really interesting because it butts up against this more rigid structure you catch through a lot of the, the meat of the song, so to say. Yeah. Right. So you have this kind of like, um, we won't use the word rigid because I don't think it's rigid, but formula that they use. And then it kind of opens up. But even in that more airy area, it always feels like the song itself wants to get back to the formula. It wants to, it wants to reprieve. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting because you catch that the second half of this record, I think is littered with that, but you first feel it here on waterfall. Yeah. Um, this is also just the last thing on Waterfall. Um, as a drummer, I mean, I think the rhythm section for this band is like untouchable. Um, Rennie is a oh. really, really great drummer. Um, he's always like where I think a lot of drummers would just, you know, play a simple 4-4 four, four beat or like, you know, a simple kind of straight beat. He always manages to 
throw in these interesting fills and kind of make it as make it part of the beat. So it's like he's a really showboaty player, but but it's it's like understated, so it doesn't yeah. feel annoying. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because the rhythm section on this record is so strong. Yeah. And the drumming, it's such a backbone that it feels both creative and flourishing, but also like automatic. Like yeah. it is so on that it took me a lot of listening to go, wait, is this, is this all just uh, sequenced? Like, is this tr- triggered drumming? Like, is it just programmed? Because it's so dead on. No, Randy um, is a monster, man. And he's yeah. also, he also sing ba- sings backups and has a better voice than Ian Brown. So, <laughs> yo, not, not going to disagree with that. Um, I now want to talk about, man. Yeah. I am going to call this my favorite song on the record. Waterfall. Don't stop. Wow. Interesting pick. I think this song, it's like, it's hard because I was listening to it and this was the song that ended up on the loop. And the loop is what I say when I catch a song on a record where I have to listen to it and then listen to it again and repeat it. And I start trying to process it mostly because of my mixed feelings on the end of Waterfall. Okay. But what they do on Don't Stop by pulling that kind of what we were talking about that extended ending into don't stop and kind of again like twisting it kind of playing with it with the layered vocal effects um this is where the record hits the most electronic or or dance feel to me and it's almost like they take elements of not just the prior track but the record so far and kind of incorporate these themes that just gives it a completely unique feel yeah but also flows perfectly in the record yeah i i I, i'm clearly gushing about it i think it's brilliant i actually think (laughs) like like i i it's one of the few songs that i was like damn interesting here and and what they did is playing with that idea of what electronic music is, what dance music is, what that means in the context of rock music. Can you do both at the same time? Can you do it without it just being like, yeah, we took this and sampled it and did the, you know, I I think it's an awesome song and uh, it's, it's a, it's certainly a keeper. So we haven't cut a track yet and I'm not sure. I'm I'm curious to see where we will with you, but, but uh, this song to me really stands out. So, um, that's cool. I like that. I like that. Um, and just to just to put this out there for people who might not be familiar with this song. Um, so Don't Stop flows right from the song Waterfall that comes before it. The thing about it, though, is that it's actually it actually is the song Waterfall played backwards. Um, right. They just looped the tape, played it yep. backwards and then added um, new vocals over it.
Yes, and to go into the lyrical content, because that was something that I was trying to figure out. Let me read some of the lyrics for Don't Stop. Uh, Don't Stop, Isn't It Funny How You Shine. Don't Stop, Isn't It Funny How You Shine. Here Sea Spray Give, I Was With Her. We're Under the Ship, So Get Me Over. Now that was me, listen. Now she fishes now, listen. There was no one out there we used. There's the news for me useless. Now so much waste, how we'll be teased. Uh, largely gibberish. Um, yeah. It, it, there's apparently, a, apparently the lyrics were improvised. Yeah, sounds right. I <laughs> think this song's so cool. Um, and it just, you know, flipping the tape on it like they did. Awesome. So cool. And just... It's- it just makes it a different feel and you can it, hear some of the, I don't know if you catch this, but on the, uh, on this version, you can hear some of the vocal. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I think that's just cool. Is this as psychedelic as the record gets? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. And, and it's, you know, like as said, it's feels so different than, the way they played with it is this it's anyways, it's, it's just cool. Yeah. Interesting. Fun fact. The second time was it the first or second. I don't remember, but what, it was only one of the times I saw them. Um, they played this song live. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very, very, very cool. It was not something I saw coming. I don't think anyone did. Cause how do you play this? You know, but they just, they totally just jammed it out. That's cool. Well, and see, that's that's the playfulness I think you can find with this, with this record, but also these songs. Being able to to do that is uh, is impressive, and and that's something also like you can speak to this more than I because you've actually seen them and are a deep fan. Their live shows have always been notable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not surprised by that. Although apparently they were terrible, you know, in the in the very early days. Um, and I gotta say just to, you know, to branch off that since you mentioned it. So the last time I saw them, the first time I saw them was in Hong Kong in 2011. It was like right when they started their reunion tour. Yo, Um, just saw them in Hong Kong. Yeah. Just in Hong Kong. I was, uh, I was working there for three months. So it was just, it was fucking lucky timing, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the second time was at, Madison Square Garden when they played in New York and this was like 2017, 2018, I think. Okay. Um, I had a great time at both shows, right? Um, they were like wonderful, perfect experiences. It's like, you know, probably, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time, getting yeah. to see them, see all these songs. Every, everyone's incredible and or surreal settings. Yeah. It's every English person in New York, you know, singing along <laughs> to all these songs and like, you know, a few of us weird Americans that are into the stone roses like that. But, uh, you know, I left being like, that was a perfect set. And then uh, it was actually only a few days ago. Someone put up like a super cut of the whole Madison square garden set on YouTube. And I watched it. Mm. Yo, they actually weren't that good. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, like not actually being there. Yeah. Like, yo, Ian Brown was singing off key the whole time. He was like missing cues. They like lost time with each other half the time. But like, it was just so funny. Cause like you forget, especially now in like COVID era, you forget how powerful live music is. Like 
nobody noticed any of this shit. But now watching it back, I'm like, oh, wow, they actually like were pretty sloppy. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like that's the magic of the live experience. Yeah. Uh, It's rare for me to go back and watch live things that I experienced. I've done it. They never... <laughs> they never feel as magical as they do in the moment. So. Never, yeah. So yeah, so shout out to that. Um, <laughs> let's let's keep moving on here. Um, All right. Oh, you didn't talk about your thoughts on Don't Stop. You said you know you gave the background. Do you like it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, okay. I love okay. it. Good, good, good. I I mean I I try to like I don't feel like a band has done something like interesting like this that really works like since this. Like, I don't know. I can't think of it's it's just such an interesting move. It feels really unique and to me it still feels really unique. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cosign. All right. Bye bye Badman. Um great song. It's not not one of the highlights for me. Um, although I'm still keeping it. I'm not gonna cut it. Um I really, really like the build. Um mm. just like the really mellow verse. Um, and then the bridge and then there's like a really upbeat chorus. Yep. Um, and then they bring it back down again. Just like, I mean, it's, it's the whole album, but I think one of the things they're really, really good at is dynamics. And I think, yes. uh, this, this, this song has that in spades. Yeah. That my notes on it were that it's a, it's kind of like a pop hit, but it drifts. Yeah. It, it gets a little spacey and soft in parts, which I think is much of the vibe of this record. Simple melodies that, that are very effective and, and, effective but also efficient because they're not they're not trying too hard sometimes through this and and just like you said i said this shifts through some different parts and and does so pretty well um doesn't overstay its welcome it's a good song it's not their best but it's definitely a keeper yeah all right is this is this where will we have unanimous on this elizabeth my dear Um, so I said uh, my note was minstrel song because it is the <laughs> Scarborough Fair. Anybody who, if you, as you were listening, this should have caught your ear if you heard music, uh, medieval times, Ren Fair music at all. This is the song Scarborough Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the most English moment on the album. Yeah, and and there's a charm to it, but guess what, Pete? I'm caught. <laughs> I can't bring myself oh, to cut can't. it. You I, can't cut this 53 I, seconds of music. I can't. I can't do it. I can't okay. do it. It's All just right. it's 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 embedded. You know it. It would feel empty for me to go from Bye Bye Bad Man to song for my Sugar Swan Sister. Uh, you just I need it. It's it. like a spacer for you. Okay. It's All a spacer. Right. It's a breather. Right, well, I th- and I think that's what it is on the record. It's, you know, is it a necessary breather? Probably not, but uh, I'm so keeping this it. This is the uh, scoop of Sherbert between servings for tasting. Yeah. So, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to cut it, but I'm not offended by it at all. It is charming. It's silly. It. <sighs> I might have to listen to a cut of this. Like I, I put a play, play this together where I actually remove it and see <laughs> if I feel like the record losing anything without it. It, yeah. might, it might not though. All right. Uh, it probably uh, won't. <laughs> song for my sugar spun sister. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this because <laughs> I, I just, I like every track, but I mean, um, this is one of my favorite, again, when it comes to the drums, uh, the beats on this are great. 
this to me is the it's like the b-side to bye bye badman um, all right it's it's not as dynamic as those opening tracks but it's really solid you're kind of hitting a groove here um somebody who's just come into this looking for something that isn't cosplay of 60s brit rock <clears throat> but has some of those elements of simple melodies would yeah. would get a lot out of the, the the midsection of this record i will say again bye bye badman and sugar Sponge sister i don't know how you shorten these songs but that's what would keep these from being you know quote unquote pop hits is that okay. they're like, they're both on the longer side of pop songs. Uh, yeah. That said, for rock songs, their length is fine and I actually like the structure and I think what you said about the the structure fits well here. And and I, again, I also say this and I say they have efficient effective melodies. So, uh it's yeah. a keeper. It's a keep song. I will say, I mean it's a keeper for me too, but I I will say that Bye Bye Bad Man, Elizabeth My Dear, a song for my sugar spun sister, definitely the weakest kind yeah. of stretch of the album for sure. Yeah, I, I largely agree. I largely agree. Um, that brings us to track eight, Made of Stone. So this is probably my favorite song on the record if I had to pick one. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know. I love this song. It's like, it's it's got this mel- like perfect melancholy feel, but it's also a little bit upbeat and energetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these bridges that are like transcendent. <laughs> um and yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's great. I love the lyrics. It's like, it's, it's like a hyper sing along. I mean, this is one of the songs that, um, you know, if you get to see them, everybody is, uh, this is the, their minds. This, this, yeah. This is the big, um, this is a hundred percent a hit. It's a keeper. Um, I think there's three pillar songs, you know, or tent pole songs you could say on this record. And this is the second of them behind. I want to be adored. Um, I like I Want to Be Adored more, mm-hmm. but this is a very good song. I, I think you put it well. It's it's immediately catchy, and it might be, yeah, and it's very memorable. So this is this is a fantastic song. Yeah, and it, oh, it's it's like it's the anchor of the second half of this record for sure. Yeah, um, this was also released, which is odd this was the second single that was released yeah so kind of interesting makes sense Uh, very rare just for people who are noting it is very rare for the eighth song on an album to be the second single (laughs) typically you're going to get the first or second first and second singles out of the first four tracks yeah um again i give credit to these guys because they wrote an album not not a uh pop um vehicle for hit songs yes shoot you down yes um where are you at on this one this is their most 60s jangle. Yeah. And I don't say that uh, as a critique. I, I actually really enjoy it. And it made me think, what would a 6 to 10 song record of this type of material sound like? 
that said, it's it's just a good song. It's not their best. It's sort of a tempo changer. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I'm not cutting it, um, but it's not their strongest material. I probably like this is this is the way to put it. I'm intrigued by the potential of the sound. I like it as much as Bye Bye Badman, but not more. And I do like it more than Sugar Spun Sister and Elizabeth, my dear. But it's on the lower side on the album. Okay. Yeah, I mean, again, I can't even look at this, at this objectively, but I I kind of see this song as a, as a bridge to the last two songs on the album because the last two songs are like bangers for the most part. Um, they're pretty big songs, so I, I see this as kind of serving somewhat of the same purpose as Elizabeth, Elizabeth my dear, because it's kind of like a breather, like a yep. jammy kind of mellow breather before you get into these like big songs. Um, it kind of like to your point about the, you know, sixties jangle pop, it almost feels like they just like jammed it out in the space or something. Like it, it has like a really casual feel to it. Yeah. Um, that's actually an issue. I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. But it, but it's, I mean, it still has like, hooks and you know kind of catchy sing-along parts yeah just i like think most that's, of their songs so that's um that's well said because very little of this record feels casual yeah you know what i mean i think that a lot of this feels quite buttoned up and thought out and uh and that's what is sort of intriguing about the sound to me i'm like oh okay what would have happened had they kind of played with this a little more i, I i'm not saying it would have been it would have been superior to what they did. I actually disagree with that idea, but it's interesting to see what they can do because the guitar sound is so cool on this record. I, I think that should be noted. Yeah. I mean, just real quick, I want to push back on the buttoned up bit. I mean, like okay. I, I agree with you to an extent, but I also feel like had they like felt compelled to do so, I feel like a lot of these songs could just like float off into space and, you know, oh, you, would, sure, you wouldn't sure. really be surprised by it. Like, there's like, I don't even want to say the Grateful Dead, but there are like certain parts where I'm just like, they're just like, they're just jamming right now. Like, if it, it seems like, I mean, to your point, it is all very calculated. They know exactly where the breaks are and the bridges are, but like, it just feels like sometimes like this could just like keep going and they could just jam for 20 minutes. I'll you know, say this the way the structure of the song is front loaded. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, usually these songs, and I think the average is around four and a half, four to four and a half minutes is the average length on these songs. Yeah. Usually somewhere in the 230 to 315 point, you find a breaking point. You identified that formula structure. And I think around that point is where you see them kind of allow the yarn to unravel. Whereas I don't see it as, um, I see it as an intent to allow that, to enable for that floaty feel, but it's an astronaut on the oxygen tube as opposed to, <laughs> as a t- opposed to an asteroid floating through space. Because sure. I agree. I don't, when I say buttoned up, I should make it clear that this isn't um, tight. It isn't wound like music i think of certain things i think the talking heads to be honest i I really love the talking heads but very often i think of the percussive nature of their music and sometimes how how on beat it can be yeah it's more rigid yeah you feel that that is the opposite of this but the precision the kind of how competent it is um 
kind of goes against the more jangly guitar sound you catch on Shoot You Down, uh, which, you know, usually when you hear jangly guitar, it, it's on that, hey, this is just kind of going, I'm loosey-goose here, you know? Yeah. Quite often, you know, like these dudes knew what they were doing. They they could they could rock that song so- sound and and pull it off. You know, uh, not unlike a lot of Johnny Marr material um both during his time in the Smiths and then later when I think he did a little more jangly stuff here and there. So, um I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Um you are big on these last two tracks. Uh this is the one. So I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm big. I mean, I I love. I love. Uh, yeah, I love. Okay, all good. Okay, whatever. Good. But but <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah. I mean, this is the one super catchy song. I mean, like, I feel like this could have been a single. Um, it was not oh, a single. Interesting. Okay. Um, but just there's an undeniable energy to it. It's a really powerful sing along. Um, going along with my humble brag from earlier. Um, the first time I saw them, I brought uh, like a total normie to the show with me. Um, she had no idea who the Stone Roses were or what she was in for. And this song, she was like super stoked. She was way into it. So that to me was uh, was interesting. Okay. So, yeah. Cut. Wow. Explain. I know. I... I, I I wanted to jar, shake it up. No, um, I think this song sets the table for a lot of soft alternative to come. <laughs> so there's certain elements of this record that the the best and glowing are so unique and have their own feel. So please note that I'm giving this record a solid A. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I, I do like it a lot. I think it's a fantastic record. What I think is interesting is I did say this is kind of this through the looking glass. This is the prism in the middle of between 80s Brit pop and, and new wave and post-punk and then the 90s Brit rock and alternative and alternative at large. And and I've all, as a fan of both sides of that, I, I really like a lot of new wave. I like a lot of post-punk Um I like the the Britpop notables and hits. Um, and I love alternative rock in the 90s. I've always been like, what are the through threads? What are the connected? What's the connective tissue here? What are the, the ligaments here? And I find the Stone Roses to be there at their... When they hit points where repetition is there or where I think the kind of like interesting stuff is falling out, I go, oh, is this like the Rembrandt's album from the mid '90s, like the the deep cuts on that? Because I'm I'm losing it. I think there's a weird through thread from the kind of po- the radio accessible but redundant new wavy stuff. Yeah, that would hit radio airplay, and then the soft alternative that was hitting post grunge. Uh, you know, that was like, well, well, you know, the, the gin blossoms are good, but maybe something <laughs> back, like something that, that moms can really get down with. Uh, so, so this kind of hits a couple of those notes for me. I do think it's very, it's very catchy, but, but there's the length of it also kind of just loses me. And I, I feel some of those elements. This is a five minute song. Yeah, it's too long. Yeah, so it's too so, long. So those, I will, 
those replies to it are, are kind of like ugh, soft. Yeah, off. yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, you're making me think about it. It, it definitely the the sing along kind of chorus at the end goes on for a little bit too long. Which is okay. Um, it's okay. You know, like it's anthemic, and uh, some people really need that. And if if I'm really picking the nit, I cut this and the um, Scarborough Fair song. You know, that's that's not too bad. <laughs> Uh, but we still no, have not to, to talk about. Well, it, it goes to my what I said at the beginning of of this one. You know, I mean, if if the normies were way into this song, you yeah. know, when I brought them to see Stone Roses, so it's it, it actually is to to your point that uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't they, know. They should really check out Matthew Sweet and um, uh, <laughs> Deep Blue Something. There's no out there, man. Don't knock Matthew Sweet, dude. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to do the Matthew Sweet record. Um, I would, I would, I, I uh, played it the other day. Um, and when I say normies, everybody, don't take offense. I don't really mean it. Um, we mean people who aren't uh, obsessively weird about music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm jealous that you guys actually have more important things to do with your lives. Good question: Do you know where uh, Matthew Sweet is from? No, I don't. Lincoln, Nebraska. Do you know his uh, his first name's not Matthew? <laughs> I could have guessed, but no. His birth name is Sidney Matthew Sweet. Um, okay. You know, some people on Wikipedia might identify his genres as power pop and alternative rock. I think that's probably 50% true. Um, <laughs> he's, he's having an interesting time. Do you know that... Um, what is his big record? Is it Blue Sky on Mars? 100%, 100% fun. Okay, Bef- oh, that's right, hundred percent. And the and and the 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 first one, I forget. I'm fruit blanking on what that one's called. Altered too. Beast. No, the one before that. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I think girlfriend, hundred percent fun, were both okay. like the big records. Well, because he had three records before girlfriend. Yep. And since uh, since hundred percent fun, he's had quite a few. He has a lot of are- records. Yeah. So, um, wow. So, what is the big hit? He also has a lot of work in film and TV. Good for him. All right. Well, Matthew Sweet, 100% fun. Oh, Sick of Myself is a good single. It's We're a good crazy. fucking song, dude. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, All right. Back, the, I'll back that whole ho- that whole album hard. Wow. Okay. Well, with that said, we will talk about the uh, rest of the 38 minutes of that record. <laughs> Besides that three minutes. All right. Stone Roses. Last song proper, I guess. Um, I didn't know yeah. how you wanted to play this, but I am the resurrection. Yeah, I'm going by the the original LP. This is the okay, last cool. song, so I I'm, I'm going with that. Um, I mean, one of the things I I think it's interesting you're cutting this is the one. I always thought that you know, although this is like my desert island record, blah blah blah. I did always feel like this is the one, and I am the resurrection kind of competed because they both feel like closing album songs to me. You're not wrong. Um, I feel like they should have just chosen I Am The Resurrection, um, and I think it would have been stronger. But uh, I noted I Want to Be Adored and Made of Stone are the pillars, the, the, the ten posts of the record. I Am The Resurrection is the third. Um, yeah, I would agree. Even though there's songs I like more and tracks that I think are better entry points and da-da-da, it just feels, it's like the perfect bookend with yeah. I want to be adored at the other side, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just total ego, you know. Yes, and and kind of similar to 
what I said about Don't Stop, where I feel like just the sound of it feels like it's pulling in themes from the, the rest of the record overall. I Am the Resurrection feels like it's got like these overtures and like there's just elements of the whole record in this song. And I, it's a longer song. <laughs> yep. I can say that. It just plays well. It closes. Plays really well. This is the closer, you know? Yep. Like, I don't know what their live set would be, but like, it feels like this would be a good closing song to a live set. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they, that's how they played it both times I saw. Makes sense. Yeah. Big, I mean, that big jam at the end, you know? Um, it, it closes it out. You go out on that. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. I, I read something interesting, actually. Um, so apparently, Manny, the bass player, um, mm-hmm. during sound checks, he would, he would, basically play the Beatles tax man, but he was trying to play it backwards. And when he finally figured it out, they jammed it. And that's what this song is. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Key, cool. key to, uh, key to bands. I mean, I don't know if anybody has seen this. If we have anybody listening who works in commercial music, I had a roommate who, um, who worked as a, he would write jingles and songs for commercials. He would spend his whole day, playing the biggest radio hits of 1998, 99 to 2000 um, inside and out, like flipping the songs over, playing them backwards <laughs> because there's a familiarity to these hit songs that, you know, these notes and you know them in relation to each other, as long as I'm not infringing. And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to do vanilla ice, these songs like dun, 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 dun. You know, he wasn't trying to do that but he would play the the songs and it'd be like, Oh, that sounds so familiar. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's uh semi charm kind of life played backwards. So it's not the same. And, yep. but you hear it and you're like, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but your brain is still reacting. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and Hey, you can write some really killer songs like that too. Apparently I am the resurrection is proof of it. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think this is like a perfect closing track. Um, if you haven't heard it, it's about a three and a half minute song. It's one of the stronger songs on the record. And then the last few minutes, they just go off last into five like, minutes. Yeah. Full blown jam territory. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, again, I didn't know what you thought of this. I half guessed that you were not going to be into the kind of second half of it, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear you are. No, you know, honestly, the second half of the record, the first half of the record's so strong, and it's hard for records to recover. But having made of stone, and I'm the resurrection. Uh, shoot your down is uh, you know it's a li- you you said you know is it like Elizabeth my dear, uh, change the pace, t- change the t- you know uh, flavor in your mouth kind of thing. The second if the second half of the record was all this was, made of stone would be a track. You know, but the record wouldn't be special. However, the composition of the whole thing, and then you add the context of that first half and how it all kind of tumbles into I Am the Resurrection and the jam out. It's a really fantastic and well thought out record. It's it's a great listen. I think, um, you know, as, as we kind of talk about here, like this would play well for just about anyone like you you had the right inclination i think this is a record that you can put on uh in the office uh on a car ride with people you don't know very well Mm. um 
at a party with with your neighbors and no one's going to be bothered or offended you know it's a little different than putting on say like uh, Motorhead Ace of Spades. <laughs> I think that's a really pleasant and fun and upbeat record, but there's going to be that neighbor who's like clutching their pearls and doesn't know what to do and is leaving. Like, what, True. where's Sammy going? Where, what, <laughs> is she not like my music? Okay. But you can put this record on and I think people will all vibe out to it. Yeah, people will vibe. Some people might really like it. Some people uh, will be just unoffended by it. And uh, sometimes that's as good as it gets. So, with that said, we just did this track by track. One of the new things we'll be doing with In Search of Tracks, the Tracks pod, is making a master playlist of what we'll consider our unanimous tracks. Now, you didn't cut anything off this record, and I only cut two tracks, but we can't put nine songs (laughs) off this album onto the unanimous tracks playlist that you can find on Spotify and hopefully Apple Music. We'll see. With that said, what are our unanimous tracks? I think it's I Want to Be Adored unanimous track, right? Yeah. Let's pick yep. Let's pick two or three if you need to. Let's pick two others that are unanimous. I mean, my like I mentioned, I think my favorite is Made of Stone. So if I had to pick one, it might be that one. Okay, I'm going to co-sign you with Made of Stone. Now, here's my thing. Well, I really like I Am the Resurrection. Yeah. I don't think it fits a playlist. Well, yep. I think if you like these songs, you got to go find it on the album, despite the fact it's a pillar. Yep. And I am left deciding between She Bangs the Drums and Don't Stop. All right. What do you think? Where do we go? I think we take the more interesting route and put Don't Stop on there. Let's I mean, go you for said it. yourself that was your favorite track. It's my favorite song. I think it's engaging and interesting and might perk an ear that while I actually, I, I think She Bangs the Drums is maybe tied for second favorite song on this record. Mm-hmm. Don't Stop is going to perk an ear that She Bangs the Drums doesn't. So, so those are our unanimous tracks off this record is I Want to Be Adored, Made of Stone, and Don't Stop. Uh, you can find them on our playlist. But with that said, Pete, is this record still relevant? I was going to ask you that question because, again, I just feel like I can't be objective. I mean, I think, I think it is. Um, I think that there's a lot of music still going on currently that still kind of throws back to this. Yep. Um, the, the, I guess the question that I have a harder time with is like, does it sound dated when I think about that? I, I honestly don't know. Cause it still feels really fresh to me, but I'm old. So, you know, um, I don't know. This is, still rele- that one. this is still relevant. I, um, despite being 850 years old, uh, I have friends who are not, and, they seem to be tuned into this record even more than than many records that came out after this. Um, I'm glad to hear that. I don't think it feels dated. I think it feels fresh. I think the production is really beautiful. I think mm-hmm. it, you know, a, a lot of music is coming out today that feels like it owes quite a uh, bounty to this record. And uh, yeah, it's it, this is a living article. I think this is not just an essential record for, you know, people who like rock music of the past 
50 years. <laughs> uh, but it is climbing the rankings, you know, yeah. uh, and it's done so in an interesting way uh, where it's been slow and continuing to grow. And there's been bumps where it's become more and more relevant, but I think it just has its place right there. And where stuff that means even more to me that came out in the seventies is starting to feel the age and is lumped into classic rock. This is not considered classic rock by no stretch of the means. It feels timeless. You know, I think yeah. there's people who are like, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, eh, no, uh, who are like, oh, I love Portishead Dummy, and I love the Stone Roses LP. Like, yep. there's an energy with it that transcends rock music, too. So, um, no, still relevant. Who is it for? Honestly, <clears throat> it is for the person looking for a record that bleeds personality, that oozes energy, and you can still chill while you listen to it. <laughs> that's a that's a hard thing to do. Super hard. And uh, did it have an impact? Yes, I think it's had more of an impact uh, over time than it did immediately. Despite the fact that that it's name checked as a, a huge impact, but it also had the the scene impact that that is now you know it's a notable thing. It's it's a thing that happened. So I think it had an impact then, but I think it's had a longer more felt impact across music uh, yeah. past 15 to 20 years. I think it's really grabbed hold. A hundred percent. It's aging like a fine wine. I'm glad that, uh, glad you think it's still relevant and that the kids are still listening to it. Apparently. <laughs> well, down at the daycare. No, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's do this. How, how are we doing a rating system? I, I think, are we doing a five so stars? Just, yeah, we're doing five stars. I, let's just run through. I'm going to ask you kind of some quick hit questions, and Sounds then we'll, we'll we'll give uh, we'll give our rating, and we'll uh, we'll move on to the next. Great. Um, so, for the people who came to this podcast from our last podcast that came from New Jersey, um, one of the consistent things is that um, Bob and I both feel that most albums are too long. Yeah. Um, so, I want to talk about the length of this record, Bob. Is this record at 49 minutes and change too long? <laughs> um. I don't even want to say yes, but just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, some of the songs are a little too long as a whole. The album is not like, like as opposed to shaving off 10 minutes of the album, I want to shave off 30 seconds of four or five different songs. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could safely, I mean, you know, I'm even, I'm reluctant to even critique it. This is like my record, but, uh, at the same time, I, I do feel like you could shave off like five to 10 minutes and, uh, you still have it. Um, that said as a whole, I think we both agree. No, it's not too long. The record as a whole doesn't drag a couple of songs, a couple yeah. songs, maybe a minute, like just a little bit here and there, but it's just, it's no, as a whole, it does not drag. Yeah. Um, album flow. Do you think it feels disjointed at all? Does it feel coherent? No, it's one of the strengths of the record. It, it flows very well. Totally. Totally agree. Um, how about the quality of the songs and the lyrics? Memorable songs. You know, we said that they stand up against their contemporaries. They've kind of outshone a lot of them at this point. Yeah. Um, like I said about the personality, a lot of that comes through in the lyrics. There's moments, um, there's moments of true, Height, I want to be adored for sure. I'm the resurrection. 
uh, in Don't Stop when he says, oh, won't you just ask me, you're an imbecile? Uh, it's like one of those <laughs> lines that just pops. So, yep, they're yeah. good. They're, yep. they're not the best, but they are memorable and very good. Yep. And influential again. I mean, I feel like a lot of bands took cues from them, you know, after the fact. 100%. Um, my next question was about timelessness, but I feel like we covered that. You know, I mean, this is a record that has aged really well. I think it's been incredibly influential. Um, 100% timeless and doesn't yeah. feel like it's of a time, despite the fact that it is most definitely of a time. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Um, presentation. We didn't talk much about the artwork, mm. although that's like a big piece of this. So, um, John Squire, who was the guitar player, um, does all of the band's artwork. Um, and for this record, it's mostly kind of this really Jackson Pollock influenced stuff. Yep. Um, what do you think about the, the artwork, the layout, you know, does the artwork fit the music? Um, what's your feel? Uh, yes to all above it adds to the music it's iconic and great um, on a purely aesthetic level it's really interesting it's fun to look at um, there's some co- good interplay between the colors and um, yes it's fantastic nice I love the artwork I in fact have a jacket um, made up of the cover art design oh nice that's right yeah. Love all that. over print. Um, final question, Bob, will you be adding this to your personal collection? If I didn't already own it? Yes, I would be. <laughs> I will be too, even though I own four or five copies at this point. Um, <laughs> we're, we're going on Discogs and getting more. Yeah, exactly. I got the box set version. I got the LP. I got, yeah, I got all of it. So, uh, how many stars, Bob? What are you rating it? Um, I am, and this is out of five stars. And this is our very first rating, so that's important. Uh, I know, uh, Pete. I am giving this a strong, and let's. Do, can we do half stars too? Yeah. Okay. I'm giving this a strong four stars. Okay. I am giving it five stars. Um, you you could like, not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I already lined that one up for everybody, so who's surprised? What's the? So, I mean, I know you've given your critique, but just in a nutshell, what? Why is it missing? What? What would have given it that extra star for you? I'm. I'm very. Um, it, it's not what's missing. Um, this is a fantastic record. It's very good, but some of the places where it drops, um, it doesn't keep the just like towering heights of the first two songs the entire way. It shows flashes of that brilliance and creativity but almost retreats to that formula um, in other parts. And the formula is great, but when you get a song like Don't Stop, it's like, oh, damn. When you get a song like I Want to Be Adored, you have hit singles, and it's only because we're going to have records that I like a lot more. So I'm giving it a solid four because it's fantastic, and it's just not quite a perfect record to me. Sure. Makes sense. Cool. Um, cool. So yeah, I mean, um, that is episode one of In Search of Tracks podcast. Search of Tracks. Um, that was a fun one, Bob. Loved it. Uh, next week, 
So real quick. So first, just everybody, don't forget to follow us on social, TraxPod at TraxPod and uh, TraxPod at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, homework for next week, Bob. Do you want to go into that for a second? I will. The uh, record for next week was my selection. And um, it's going to be, it's a little different than, than Pete's. And it was uh, a different kind of choice for me. And I'm excited to talk about that next week. It is the 1999 album by the band Nebula to the center. So uh, everybody go listen to that Nebula to the center. And we'll see you back here next week to discuss. Bye, everybody.